In this episode of 2000 Books, I talk to Warren Harnish, the founder of Entrepreneur's Organization, about the most important people metric you need to monitor when an early phase of your entrepreneurial journey, the most important thing to own in your customer's mind, why most businesses never get to the $1 million mark in revenue and what to do about it, and a whole lot more. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Today's guest, Warren Harnish, is the founder of the world-renowned Entrepreneurs Organization, also known as EO, with nearly 12,000 members worldwide. Warren has chaired EO's premier CEO program, The Birthing of Giants, held at MIT for 15 years. He's the founder and CEO of Gazelles Inc., a global executive education and coaching company with over 180 partners on six continents. Warren has spent the past three decades helping companies scale up. Today, we're talking about his most recent book, Scaling Up, How a Few Companies Make It and the Rest Don't. Warren, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Man, glad to be on the show and here to help uh, these entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Uh, well, first off, let's talk about your business story. What led you? Tell us about your business story and how you came to writing this book. Well, I uh, grew up around entrepreneurs. My grandparents, my father. Then he and I launched a small company when I was 15, and then I helped grow a company of about 12 million when I was in college. And so I'd been at business for a while, and, and so in 1983, uh, co-founded this group called ACE, Association of Collegiate Entrepreneurs, and we did this ACE 100, Steve Jobs, Michael Dell, Mark Cuban, uh, we're all on the list, and many of them came to our events and then in 87, I launched YEO, the Young Entrepreneurs Organization, now called EO, because mm-hmm. we got rid of the Y, young, because we're old now. <laughs> and and about 12, we just crossed the 12,000 member mark worldwide uh, and, and continue to grow very fast. And in 1990, I went to MIT and felt like we needed to establish an ex- a formal executive program. And so we did in 1991. Uh, in fact, next year is the 25th anniversary of the, uh, the 1992 graduating class. And I, I put together the curriculum for that program and ran it for 15 years. And in essence, what we put together became my first book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, which we released then in, in 2002. Uh, had another dozen years of experience working with about 40,000 growth companies around the world. And so uh, about two years ago, put out the update, Scaling Up, uh, Rockefeller Habits 2.0. So that's, it really was the, the textbook curriculum, and it's used still today at that program uh, hosted on MIT's campus. That's great. Yeah, I absolutely love the book Mastering the Rockefeller Habits and now, of course, scaling, scaling Up. So excited to really delve into it deeper. And I think one of the first things as you get into the book, as I, as I dug into the book, I, I realized that the level of complexity increases dramatically as we increase the number of people in our organization. We, we don't even realize as leaders how quickly that goes up. Yeah, you know, many companies start up. In fact, 11,000 companies an hour start up around the world, but very few scale up. 
In fact, uh, you know, only 4% of companies get to that million-dollar mark, which is what you've got to achieve to get into EO. Mm -hmm. And it's precisely because of this complexity of adding people. You know, anyone who's in a relationship knows that that's complicated enough. And now you add 10 employees or 100, and it just geometrically increases the mess, the chaos that you've got to try to organize. I'm convinced, man, it's one of the reasons why 76% of the companies in the United States are home-based. Um, most entrepreneurs' attitude is I'd love my business if I just didn't have employees or even customers kind of interrupting <laughs> my dream. Yeah, it's 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 almost like, well, of course, that's a, that's a dream that's not going to come true. But some entrepreneurs do just manage to be by themselves and grinding away and unfortunately when you're by yourself you never can get to the next level you can never really become a gazelle or go higher yeah we in fact i've got a dear friend who's writing a book about um lone entrepreneurs that have been able to scale to a million uh but that is pretty much the upper level there's a few at two million a couple at five million it's it's hard to scale beyond that without adding some people yeah that's that's like a ceiling of complexity right there and you cannot you cannot do it all by yourself no matter what so well and you know you don't want to i mean part of the goal i just did a, a huffington post piece uh, about one of our clients and you know his big thing is he's been able to dramatically increase the size of the company and now he's only working a, essentially a day a week thursdays in running that company that's the ultimate freedom that we're really looking for and what our tools are aimed to provide and of course, he has employees to take care of the business while he is doing one day a week to to run the business. Precisely, yeah. You need you need people, yeah, in order to do that. And that really leads us to the first discipline, first uh, decision in some ways that we need to make, which is people. And uh, Jim Collins talks a lot about that in his book, Good to Great, where getting the right people on the bus and wrong people off the bus. That's a more important decision than anything else we can ever do. Yeah, you know what? You make the right decisions about who you partner with and hire. Your life is great. You make the wrong decisions. Your life is miserable. And it's kind of that simple. But let, let me back up because, you know, we've got a lot of kind of startups listening to this. Mm -hmm. And people is beyond folks that you hire, obviously. And I learned this lesson from Regis McKenna. I, I cold called him. He was at the time coaching Steve Jobs and Intel and Genentech, you know, kind of the, the marketing guru. And I'm starting this student organization. So I cold called him and said, hey, you know, Regis, teach me what you're teaching Steve. And he said, all right. And he took me on as a client. Rich Moran was a young guy assigned to me. He's now president of Malibu University and, and a venture capitalist and all that. It's, you know, a long history back in 83. But he said, here's the key. Um, take a piece of paper out and make a list of the top 25 relationships, top 25 influencers, if you would, that you need to get behind this student entrepreneurship organization if you want to scale it globally. And that's all Steve Jobs ever did is he would try to scale something. When he decided he needed to launch iTunes, uh, first thing it is, take a piece of paper out, make the list, you know, who are the top players in the music industry. I've got to get behind this. And then the only guy I knew was Don Henley from Eagles, bites him over and said, Hey Don, you know anybody on the list? And he just started working the list. I did the same. I had president Ronald Reagan. I'm the student at Wichita state, Manny. 
But I write down, you know, President Ronald Reagan and the head of Inc. Magazine and Venture Magazine at the time and Steve Jobs. And we started working the list. And in 36 months, I had all of those players on board and we were global in three years. Uh, so I still do it today. We were just helping a company starting up in the carbon credit space. And first thing I did is take a piece of paper out. And who would you guess would be the first name you'd want to put on that list if you really want to scale in the carbon credit space? And it was Al Gore. Uh -huh. And if you sense. can get Al behind what it is that you're doing, uh, you know, the rest is history. And so that making that list, even if you're local and it's the, the right local, you know, the blogger that can get to your market, the influencers, the, the right newspaper editor, the right politician to come do the ribbon cutting. Make your list and start working it. Wow, this, so is, yeah. this is really great because it's not just, as you said, it's not just about hiring the smartest people, but more importantly, being able to look beyond your current realm of reality and say, what do I need to get to the next level? Who are yep. the people who are going to help me get to the next level? Yeah, and it means then you got to, as we're going to discuss next, have a great killer strategy. If you don't have a great elevator pitch, uh, you know, I wanted to build the world's, you know, most influential young entrepreneurs organization. Mm -hmm. And here were the reasons why. And that was enough of an elevator pitch to get, you know, the right people uh, to get behind some, again, some student at Wichita State University. So, so you were able to communicate the values or the purpose of the company clearly enough that they said, okay, this is something that we want to be a part of. But at the same time, I can hear the trepidation in my listeners' voice. They're wondering, well, these are big names that I want to go after. How do I go about doing that? Yeah. Well, the first thing is, is to be clear, if we move to strategy, really, what is the word or two you want to own in the minds of the marketplace? I think that's the first strategic decision. You know, we wanted to be the association of collegiate entrepreneurs. We, we made our name the space that we wanted to own. And in fact, the, some of the group that was involved in starting it first called it the American Collegiate Entrepreneurs. But if you had the word American, you've already limited the size of your marketplace. And so I encourage entrepreneurs to first say, all right, what is it? What's the space you want to own in a word or two? You know, Google owns search. You know, if you want a safe car, it was always a Volvo. If you want a great driving experience, it's a BMW. I've got a client called Trench Safety. It's very simple what they do. They make sure that if you're digging a trench and you want to make it safe, they're the you know, company you call. And that's a big part about getting clarity around what it is that you want to accomplish. And then you want to identify people who want to kind of be a part of that space. Mm -hmm. uh, now, once you've got the name, here's what you do. I, I figured out that Arthur Lipper Manny owned Venture Magazine. I'd then researched that he was getting ready to give a speech down in Dallas, Texas. I'm up in Wichita, so I hop in my 81 Pontiac. And I head south six hours, and I attend a speech. I sit in the front row, nodding my head. And then when he came off his speech, I was first up there to say hello to him. And I said, you know, Mr. Lipper, uh, uh, I've got a team that and, – and by the way, I'd already gotten Harvard and Stanford 
Uh, I called Harvard and said Stanford was going to help out, and I told Stanford Harvard was going to help out. <laughs> they both, you know, agreed. And I said, look, I got Harvard, Stanford, and several of the other major universities uh, behind launching this global student entrepreneurship organization. I need your help. And that was enough. You know, you've got a few sentences like that. That was enough to get his attention. Uh, and then the rest is history. He, Arthur Lipper is still a dear friend of mine today. Uh, what is this? 35 years later. Yeah, this is incredible. I mean, of course, there's so much hustle involved with what you did, but at the same time, you had the vision and you had clarity on what you're going after. So you went after the people relentlessly in some ways and said, okay, that's what I'm after and they will help me realize my dream. Yeah. And then the key was I asked that, you know, I need your help. And then I said, hey, you know, so I got a, I got a meeting with him. I said, hey, Mr. Lipper, if you were me, you know, what would you do to scale this? And then I shut up and I let him talk and I wrote down and he saw that I wrote down everything that he said. People have got to see you or hear you writing. And then I immediately followed up. This is back when we had faxes, Manny. Mm -hmm. uh, I faxed him back a note saying, hey, you know, Mr. Lipper, I appreciate the 33 thing. I still have the piece of paper, by the way. Here, here, I appreciate the 33 ideas. I've already implemented one or two of them. I'll get back to you on the rest in a month. And all, all these people want is a great student who implements, you know, their suggestions. And I pushed back on a couple and they want that as well. So that's always been the key. That's great. That's great. So we're getting into the, I mean, we're talking about strategy here. We're talking about, oh, we're talking about people and strategy in some ways. They're both uh, correlated here. Um, yeah. But we're talking about the one differentiator, the true differentiator, the one phrase that stands, like the one word that we need to own. Uh, what else? That's yeah, like Tim Ferriss. Yeah. You know, Tim, that guy owns four hour. Four hour. That's right. You know, Eric Reese owns lean startup and the term lean startup is searched more than the term startup. Yeah. Uh, that's how powerful owning a word or two in the minds of enough people uh, can be enough. You just want to be, you know, the the best. It's like TripAdvisor. If you're the number one Italian restaurant in a particular city, you're in good shape. Yeah, it is interesting how Eric Ries owns Lean Startup, but it was actually his mentor um, who wrote the book, The Four Steps to Epiphany, Steve yeah, Blank, Steve Blank. Who, who's yeah. the real, in many ways, who's the real guru of that. But I don't know if this is marketing or if this is strategy or what happened where now Eric is the one who really yeah. owns the Lean Startup word. Well, it's, you can put whatever, but it's, it's branding. Yeah. And we call that strategy. And, and we have this thing called the seven strata, the seven decisions you've got to make in order to nail your strategy. And decision number one is, what's the word or two that you can own? Yeah. And and Eric branded it. Eric branded it, yeah. And uh, there's, yeah, as you said, there are seven strata of strategy. Uh, let's talk about the one-page strategic plan. Now, is there a time? Like, is there, like, when does a business need to start using this on a regular basis? Is there a re revenue number that you hit when you say, okay, now is the time to start using the strategic plan? Or you say, no, as, as no matter where, how early you are in the business, you need to actually be on, on the lookout and be working with this. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's day one. My wife, in fact, uh, is in the middle of launching a company. And, and this weekend, we're going to put together uh, the rudimentary parts of her one-page strategic plan. 
Uh, these are decisions that it's better if you can make them sooner than later and just get clear about you know where you're going and what you've got to do today, this week, this month, and this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, uh, generally, uh, that gets a lot more complex as companies get larger. And we have this thing called a, a vision summary. It's a simpler page than the one-page strategic plan. So we're going to start with her on that. And then as the company gets more complex, we'll move up to the, the more sophisticated one-page strategic plan. So, so we've, got, we've got increments as well. Got it, got it. Now, when, when people are in the early phases, let's say within between 100000 to a $1 million, there's a lot of pivoting going on. There's a lot of changes that are going on, and things are moving rather rapidly. Things are changing rather rapidly. So uh, I presume, and I have seen this for myself, that even at the quarter level, things change because the business model changes or business, the way we're thinking about some things change. So how do you, I mean, is this something we're constantly updating? Well, it is, but, but there are two phases. Uh, and, you know, one of the guys I admire so much is Jeffrey Moore there mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. Yeah. You know, and Jeffrey was an under, understudy of Regis McKenna, as were a lot of the folks. And Jeffrey's crossing the chasm was absolutely right. In fact, my wife and I were talking about it tonight. You know, this S-curve, this kind of our swish on the cover, our Nike swish on the cover of our book, there is this chasm. Hmm. You know, and in that first phase, you absolutely have to practice the lean startup. You know, close customer intimacy where you're doing rapid prototyping and you're pivoting a lot. But then once you finally settle in on what it is that we do, we're going to be paid search with this very simple, you know, page layout like Google did. And I remember when we were at Fortune Magazine hosting uh, the Google Boys and then you know, first laying out this design. Once you decide you cross that chasm and you've got to then become an agile scale-up. So you've got to mm-hmm. move from being a lean startup to an agile scale-up. And what got you here will not get you there. And Jeffrey Moore has been very clear about that in his book, Crossing the Chasm, and he's right. So there is this point where you cross over and you have to grow up. And you've now got to have operational excellence. You have got to make sure that the, you know, the search engine is running 24-7. 24/7. And notice, they haven't really, at the end of the day, tweaked it much. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they, by the way, they've tried to pivot. And they, they're so known by one word, search, which still represents over 90% of their revenue, that they came up with a new name last year, Alphabet where they could kind of bundle the rest of their experiments under. And as you saw, they're still losing a ton of money in that space. And they will, of course, until they find their market fit their, for all the different entities that they're working with. Yep. Um, and yeah, and yeah Je- Jeffrey Moore has been on the podcast, by the way, and I completely understand the fact, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate that the chasm is a dangerous place, but at the same time, we must cross it. There's yep. no... There's no escaping it, and it's actually nope. a good thing being aware that it is there because otherwise we yeah. go into the abyss without knowing where we're going. Yeah, and like I said, most companies care, choose not to cross it, which is fine. Uh, that's 96% of the companies never have to cross it, and mm. that's why it's only 4% that do. Okay. Then, we, then we, obviously we get to execution, and that's what we're talking about. Once you cross that chasm – Manny, you have got to get good at execution. 
And there, our simp- the thing we're best known for is this, this meeting rhythm. You know, at the heart of Scrum or Agile is this daily huddle. It's, mm-hmm. it's what makes it powerful. And so a long time ago, we really emphasized the importance of this 15-minute daily huddle inside, you know, scale-ups. Uh, then the weekly set of meetings, the monthly management gathering to work on bigger issues, and then getting off-site once a quarter in order to kind of rethink what you've got to do over the next few months. And that day, week, month, quarter, year meeting rhythm literally will save you hours, if not years of your life. And it's what allows you to literally move fast. Absolutely. I mean, I think you you say in the book, you say, to move faster, we need to pulse faster. Right. That's exactly what's happening when we're meeting with our reports, when we're meeting with the people, when we're uh, meeting 15 minutes a day, if not more. And uh, you have studied the biography of Rockefeller where he, as you said, he used to meet with his direct reports for lunch every single day. And by the way, Steve Jobs had lunch every day with Jonathan Ives. So, you know, 100 years later, he understood the importance of kind of breaking bread with the critical people that are that are driving the business. And again, that 15 minutes of talk time will save you hours of trying to solve problems via email. And so it's an absolute time saver. Yeah. As you as you as you quoted in the book, uh, the word of the the meaning of the word company is to share bread. That was a huge revelation for me. I did not realize until this point and makes so much sense now that I can put things into perspective. Yeah, and I go back to then Keith Rossi, who was another one who came out of that Jeffrey Moore, Regis McKenna uh, world. And I love, his, I love the title of his book, Never Eat Alone. You know, mm-hmm. once you make that list of those top 25 influencers, to me, the most important KPI, key performance indicator, is how many breakfasts, coffees, and lunches do you have with the right people every week? That's critical to scaling up any business at any size. That, is that is that one of the KPIs that you use even till date, or is that uh, now um, not as useful compared to when it, when you were starting off? No, no, no. Still today, in fact, my my latest Fortune column, my venture column in Fortune, I lay out five what I consider the most important performance indicators for leaders of companies, and it's a little Moneyballish like you know Moneyball opened our eyes that we measure a lot of stuff, but only a few things matter. And these five metrics are the five I think most matter uh, in, in determining kind of leader effectiveness on a daily and weekly basis. And one of those I literally say is, how many breakfast, lunches, and coffees do you have with the right influencers every week? It's something you ought to measure. This is great. This is great. And it's, 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 uh, I'm sure this is not just even limited to the influencers, but as the startup, you also need to be able to reach out to your customers and talk to them and get you know, feedback from them, learn from them, and in some ways use that as a KPI for, uh, which is habit six, which is gathering customer input as per Rockefeller, right? Yeah, well, that is, you know, they are key influencers, particularly the right customers who influence entire industries. But that is that shift from the lean startup to, you know, still today, people don't realize that one of the keys to Mark Zuckerberg's success is his Q&A with Mark every Friday, where he opens himself up for an hour to his people 
And he's been doing that, that weekly rhythm for years. He's now started it with customers as well. When he was here in Barcelona at the last Mobile World Conference, he rented out a auditorium, invited a bunch of customers. The only CEO that I know that took time that week to hang with his customers. And so he understands this, this rhythm of customer and employee feedback is critical to decision making inside the company. This is great. And uh, I want to quickly ask you the difference between a KPI and a critical number. How do you, like, how do you, how do you differentiate the two and what does it mean? Yeah, and then there's OKRs that everybody talks about in Silicon Valley. You know, Manny, my industry drives me crazy because <laughs> we're really not an industry. We're like the only kind of profession that doesn't have standards, in standard language. It's, it's terrible. But, you know, in essence, all of this is the priority, the, the critical number is the, the most, imp number, most important number one priority you need to focus on next. Uh, for instance, most recently here, Facebook's been focused on, you know, video. Mm. Uh, back in January 2012, Mark pulled everybody and said, look, we got to get mobile. And that, and then you, you know, you either got mobile or you didn't. That's kind of a binary yes or no. Um, but that's the critical number. That's the critical thing we need to focus on. Then the key performance indicators are then the other things that you're measuring to go along with it that are important to driving the business. So, are, are the key performance indicators helping you hit the critical number? Or are they? They are. They're helping you run the business. Mm hmm. Uh, and, and then you may decide, I, I remember when Michael Dell was getting hammered by compact computer and it's because compact selling servers and that was underwriting the cost of their laptop so they could compete with Michael's low cost model and his CFO, Tom Meredith, who I've known for years, they kind of went off site and said, you know what, we got to drain that profit pool of compacts. And they said as a priority, a critical number their most important KPI for that year was to get in the server business and sell X number of servers in 12 months. Mm. And they basically collapsed Compaq's economic model and they were shortly just a, a nameplate on a piece of HP equipment. Uh, that's, that's how strategic that decision is. That was at the time for, for Dow. Yeah, okay. So, so now let's talk about cash. But, but let me, let's just be clear. Uh, from you know, a exa smaller example, my wife, we're stealing an idea I learned from Nathan, who co-founded Airbnb. He, mm -hmm. Nathan and I spoke opposite each other here in Barcelona a couple of years ago. And, you know, they were thrown out initially of Y Combinator. A lot of folks don't realize that. And they kind of talked their way back in with Paul. And they were still struggling. And Paul finally asked them, all right, you know, you know who, who are your customers? They're like everyone, you know, your typical standard answer. He goes, no, 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 no. Where do you have the most customers? And they're like, New York City. We have like 20 customers there. He said, then go to New York and mm -hmm. live with those customers and figure out what you've got to do to get this thing right. And so they focused maniacally on New York and got it from like 20 to 200 customers and the rest is history. You know, so my wife's looking at the same thing. She's picked a city. 
for her business in the United States. And her priorities right now every day are what's the one most important thing I've got to do today in order to get this business popular in that city. Hmm. And that's how specific you've got to be. Because she's already, like every entrepreneur, feeling overwhelmed by the number of things that she knows she has to get done. And you've got to discipline yourself to decide what's the most important and make sure whatever happens today, you at least get that done. Yeah. I and mean, then you'll move business forward. We, we can drown in opportunities as entrepreneurs. And it's probably one of the key uh, understandings we can have in our entrepreneurial ventures as to realize what is the most important thing we need to focus on. Yep. And, and then obviously we got that last one, cash. Yeah. And, you know, so we've looked at people, we've looked at strategy, we've looked at execution. And then cash is the one where, you know, it's a simple rule. Don't run out. Uh, you run out of cash, it's game over. But, but here I've become a huge fan of a mentor of mine, John Mullen, serial entrepreneur, now professor at London Business School, who wrote to me the most important book in this space called The Customer Driven Business. And, uh, and this idea that you get your cash from customers. Hmm. Um, and that's the old way we used to do it. And if you look at it, that's really what Indiegogo and Kickstarter now provide, is the ability for you to go out and pre-sell what it is that you want to uh, build, and you get the customers to fund you. And you don't have to give up any equity, and you have no debt, yeah. which is absolutely the perfect thing uh, in the 21st century. Yeah. So uh, I absolutely think you've got to have customer-funded businesses uh, moving forward. And it's getting rarer and rarer that you can get that angel and venture capital without just costing you a fortune and you know, leading to a bunch of sleepless nights. And so we, we encourage entrepreneurs to avoid it at all costs. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's uh, getting the money up front from the customers to create your product. It's way more easier than it used to be, especially in the digital age today. And as you did now with Indiegogo, but not only that, even in information products and the different spaces, it's so easy to do that, that we can get into the negative cash conversion cycles. You got it. Yeah. So that that's kind of it, Manny. There's, you know, a thousand other ideas like that yeah. in the book scaling up. But I think if people can get clear about their top 25 list and then spend time on it every week, if they can get clear the two words they own and then in executing, pound on the number one thing you've got to do to own those two words every day, week, month, quarter, and year, and then work hard to get some customers to fund you up front. If you can do those four things, you're going to be way ahead of, I think, a lot of other folks in the game. Beautiful. I didn't have to ask you for the specific option items there. We have them. Well, thank you very much, Warren, for taking the time I, to do this. How can our listeners find more about you, uh, find about EO and all the good stuff? Well, I'd encourage them just go to scalingup.com. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a free chapter they can download on the barriers to growth. There's uh, material on what we call the one-page personal plan. All of our growth tools are up there. We're all open source managed, so they can download them in many languages for free. And I reference a whole bunch of important articles, as well as what I think are the top 40 books 
that if you really want to build a company, you need to read. And yeah, I'll kind of end on that point. I remember uh, Alan Murray, our editor at Fortune, interviewed Larry Page a few months ago at Google. And he goes, Larry, so how have you learned to be a CEO? And Larry like looks at Alan and goes, I just read a lot. Uh, you know, when they went to go name the company last summer, uh, Alphabet, he said, I just read three books on how to name things. Uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, a book every two weeks. Mark Cuban reads three hours every day. Warren Buffett, 500 pages a day. Bill Gates, you know, his famous Think Weeks, where his record's 112 books, manuscripts, PhD thesis, white papers over a seven-day period. I mean, nothing important can come out of your head till you put it in first and that's why i love what you're doing manny you're out there uh getting people and encouraging people to read these books and that's what the best do so i've got a list of the 40 that support our book in the back of scaling up and i think it's hopefully a good list absolutely and uh thank you for the endorsement on reading because that's exactly what we are after uh, learning and growing ourselves through reading so you got it warren thank you very much for your time You got it, Manny. Take care. So I have something really exciting to share with you. After listening to your feedback over the last few months, I have opened up parts of my Thursdays this month, this September, for conversations with you. Yes, you, my fellow listeners, my fellow ambitious entrepreneurs. I want to talk to you. I want to listen to you. I want to answer any and all business questions you may have. And I want to take in any suggestions you have for improvement. So... If you want to talk to me, just schedule a free 30-minute chat with me at 2000books.com slash discuss or text the word discuss to 44222 and we will get talking, you and I. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this because it will really give me the opportunity to get to know you, understand you, and serve you better and help uh, help you in any way I can. So if by the way, I want to be doubly clear that this is not a sales call. I will not pitch anything to you, and I really hope you won't try to sell anything either to me. So let's just talk like friends, okay? Deal? Now, I'm only doing this for Thursdays in September, and there are only four Thursdays this month. So get a time slot before they're all gone. Just head on over to 2000books.com slash discuss or text the word discuss to 44222 and schedule a time that is convenient for you. Now, I'm really looking forward to talking with you. So let's do this.